This episode of the People of PCPS is brought to you through the generous support of Joe Fisher's office at Mid-State Educators Insurance. For more information, visit insurepolk.com. Welcome to the People of PCPS, a Polk County Public Schools podcast. This podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of teachers, paraeducators, support staff, students, volunteers, alumni, and all the people who contribute to Polk County Public Schools. Whether they're working in the school district, learning in our classrooms, or using their education to improve our community, the people are what make Polk County Public Schools great. Let's get to know our colleagues, our students, our neighbors, and our friends, the people of PCPS. Welcome everyone to the People of PCPS podcast. I'm Senior Director of Communications, Rachel Pleasant. This is a podcast that we've created to talk to the people of Polk County Public Schools because we believe it's the people, the teachers, the support staff, the students, the parents, the volunteers, the administrators. It's the people of this organization that make it great. And so this is a special time that we've created just to set aside and talk to them and get to know them better and tell their stories. And I'm very excited to have with me today Ben Roosh, who's with the Hearth Program. Ben, what's your exact title with the Hearth Program? Homeless Liaison. Homeless Liaison. And Hearth stands for? Homeless Education Advocates Restoring the Hope. So I venture to say that many of our listeners and many of the people just out in the community just flat out don't know that we have a program specifically dedicated to homeless students. Because when you think of the sort of traditional K-12 experience, you don't think about students yeah. who don't have a, um, a consistent place to live. And that's what, but we do have that population mm-hmm. within our system and you help them. So yeah. tell me just um, for those who have no idea about the heart, just give us a, an overview of what the Hearth program does. Sure. Um, so there is a, um, there is supposed to be a homeless liaison assigned in every public school district in our our nation, um, and some districts that are larger, like ours, have a whole homeless education program. Um, the reason this is is there's a federal law called the McKinney Vento Act, and McKinney Vento Act was put in place to make sure that our students experiencing homelessness were having their needs being met because um, what. What, what we were seeing years ago was uh, a lot of our students who were uh, losing their homes and ended up in homeless situations were falling behind in school. Um, and a lot of the, the needs that they had uh, weren't being met. And of course, we know when students fall behind in school, they're at risk of not graduating, not being promoted every year. Um, so our homeless education program, the Hearth Project, we serve um, the homeless student population in our district. Um, Believe it or not, um, you know, over the past several years, we've consistently identified over 3,000 students experiencing homelessness um, per year. Uh, In fact, a couple years ago when we had the hurricanes come through, we had we identified over 4,700. So um, and as shocking as that number sounds, it's likely higher. Um, We do our best to identify as many students as possible, but. You know, there's always some that slip through the cracks, so uh, it's our job to try to, to try to find them. But as far as what type of uh, program we are, how we provide support, uh, a lot of the support we provide <clears throat> um, is covered under the McKinney-Vento Act, uh, the law that I mentioned earlier. Um, but there's um, several other things that we do that are kind of outside that parameter that we, we assist with as well through 
um, you know, uh, through different kinds of funding. But there's two main components of the law that we assist our students with that um, have experienced homelessness, and that is uh, removing barriers to education for those students. Um, you know, if we have a family that got evicted or um, lost their house uh, in a fire, and they um, say they move into our, our district and they want to enroll their kids in school. Well, if they're staying at a motel because they don't have housing right now, um, they're not going to have the proofs they need to enroll their students in school. So ordinarily, they'd just be sitting out of school. Mm -hmm. um, because of the law, we're allowed to and we're able to help facilitate the immediate enrollment of students in these types of situations, students that don't have all the required documents for enrollment. Um, say there was a house fire and their birth certificate and um, other items needed for enrollment um, were, were lost in the fire. Um, it's our job to make sure that these students get enrolled immediately um, and fully participating in school activities. Um, so kind of removing that barrier um, is the number one thing outside of identifying the students. Um, removing any type of barriers to school, to education for the students is like one of the most important things we can do. Um, the second other kind of really important component of the McKinney-Vento Act is uh, school stability. So we have families that are highly mobile. I, I, have, I had a family a couple years ago. Um, they, they moved eight times in the first two and a half months of school. Um, seven of the eight addresses were zoned for um, seven different schools. Wow. So, I mean, can you just picture, imagine a family, um, young kids, um, moving eight times in two and a half months. I mean, that, uh, for me, that's mind-boggling. I can't even, it's hard for me to even imagine that. Imagine them, now kind of picture them having to switch schools seven times in two and a half months. There is no way these kids would have a chance at succeeding. Um, so the federal law, what it allows us to do is keep the kids at their school of origin, and any time they move, if it's not zoned for that school, our program is able to partner with transportation and make sure that they're able to stay at that school and receive busing. Uh, creating that school stability is a huge component of helping students who are experiencing homelessness um, get promoted every year and eventually graduate. Uh, there was a study done several years ago um, regarding students who um, were part of military families. And the study showed that every time students um, moved, they fell behind in school about four to six months. Um, so right there, it's kind of a, a picture of how important school stability is to really any student. But gotcha. more, more um, I think even more so with students experiencing homelessness, just because going back to that example I, I, I provided, I think it's traumatic for a child to move that many times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it would be even more traumatic for them to change schools that many times. Sure. Yeah, there's no consistency. You don't know where you're waking up every morning, really. Ex yeah, exactly. At that rate. What many of us are fortunate to have never experienced homelessness or had any direct close contact with someone experiencing homelessness. So we may have a certain picture of what homelessness means in our minds, you know, mm -hmm. someone literally on the street. But homelessness takes many forms. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, can you share some examples of the kind of homelessness that you've actually seen in our district? Sure. Um, so to be technical for a, se a second, um, the McKinney-Vento Act does define homelessness as 
um, students who lack a fixed, regular, adequate nighttime residence. Um, in our district, you know, we primarily, the students that we identify, um, a majority, I would say, are students who are doubled up with friends and family because of some form of lost house housing. Um, and, you know, one might think that's not too bad. They're not on the streets, you know, at least they're in a house. But most of these situations are not very ideal. Um, you know, we've had families that we visited and, you know, they are staying with a relative and they're given um, kind of an enclosed living room that they're able to stay in. But they're given times in which they're allowed to use the kitchen. They're given times in which they're allowed to uh, use the bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. Just not really, you know, I mean, that doesn't really sound fun to me. We also have, you know, a lot of the, the families that are doubled up, they're doubled up with folks who are at risk of being homeless themselves. Um, we've had families that um, were evicted because they took in family who got evicted. So, um, you know, it's, it's just not an ideal situation. And as far as I'm concerned, um, being doubled up just kind of compounds the problem in, in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of families that are staying in uh, budget motels uh, because they, they have some form of income, but, uh, you know, they, they, they don't have enough to, to get into a place. Um, they maybe don't even make enough to, like, if they were able to get into to, to afford a rent, but they are able to afford some of these the monthly payments or weekly payments at some of these budget motels. Um, an example I share all the time is Memorial Boulevard in Lakeland. Those are the types of, mm-hmm. um, you know, motels. I've spoken with some of these families. These motels, um, there's a lot of um, unfortunate activities, I guess I'll put it that way, going on in and around these motels. Um, you know, some of these motels, you know, aren't the cleanest, not the safest. Um, I'm not a parent, but if I was, I'd be afraid to stay in some of these places with mm-hmm. my children. Um, of course, we do have some some nice shelter facilities in, in Polk County, Salvation Army in Lakeland, Winter Haven, Lighthouse Ministries. I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but um, so we do have families that are um, in that type of living arrangement. Substandard housing, um, that's a kind of a huge problem here in Polk. I think the hurricanes of three years ago made you know, what we had, uh, substandard housing made a lot of that even worse. Um, but, you know, we have uh, families um, in Moldberry and uh, trailer parks that are deplorable. Um, the conditions are, um, you know, four families li- living in a single wide. Um, the trailer, uh, basically, it's divided with like shower curtains so that mm-hmm. The families have their own little spaces. The windows boarded up. You can see through the floors. You know, you open the door and the the bugs scatter um, holes in the ceiling. So when it rains, they have to put, you know, buckets or, or tarps. Um, so we have, you know, we have kids living in these types of conditions. We have families that are living in sheds and on properties. Um, some that are living out of their cars. Um, you know, last night it was past few days. It's been pretty cool. I mean. Sometimes at night when it's cool like that, I, I think of some of these families and just, you know, breaks my heart. Um, you know, it's there's other types of living situations we do see, but the ones I mentioned are kind of the ones we see um, most frequently. Um, and I think a lot of them can be the, the, the types of situations that, um, you know, a lot of people you had mentioned probably aren't familiar with our program. And I think, you know, in addition to that, they're, they're completely unaware, not 
you know, it's not their fault, but they're completely unaware of um, the kinds of conditions that our, our students okay. in this district are living in. So to help these students, first you have to identify them, and that happens, they self-identified somewhat, somewhat, right? Yeah. And then for those who don't, and you maybe get word or, or somehow notified that there may be a student experiencing homelessness, what do you do? Do you go to these places? Do you physically track them down? Or how, how do you reach them when they're transient? And It's tough. Um, I mean, identification is, like, like I had mentioned earlier, it's it's before we can do anything, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's never going to be a time in which, you know, as a program, we've made it as far as identification. I mean, it's something we're always going to have to, um, you know, uh, try our hardest at and get creative with. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, we mentioned we identify thousands of students in our district every year who qualify. Um, last year alone, 3,737. Um, so to go out there with a program, you know, there's, including myself, there's um, five full-time employees in our program. So um, kind of tracking the kiddos um, in these families it can be challenging. Um, as you mentioned, self-identification, that's one of the, the biggest ways our families can um, you know, self-identify so that we can, um, A, make them aware of what their rights are in the McKinney-Vento Act, but then kind of um, explain them the, the, what kinds of supports we can provide to them. Um, and they, there's a, uh, uh, it's called a housing questionnaire, and it's in every enrollment packet. So when uh, parents enroll, they can fill this out, and the forms get sent to our office by the school. Uh, but we... Um, you know, we work with the schools. The schools are kind of the, the front lines for us because we primarily are working out of our office here at the district office. Um, so it, it's our partnership with the schools, in particular, um, our school-based advocates. So we have uh, at least one school-based advocate at each school. Typically, the school counselor is sometimes someone in the front office, like a terminal operator or a principal secretary. Um, but a lot of these folks are going to know before anyone, the folks at the school are going to know before anyone what's going on. Um, in particular, a lot of times the front office staff and the school counselors. So we work very closely with them. Um, you know, if they become aware of a family that's told them or kind of indicated they may have lost housing, um, typically they either refer the family to us or they shoot us an email and they say, you know, I say, hey, can you reach out to them? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's, um, we, we have flyers out at, uh, some of these budget motels I mentioned, we have flyers that we put up um, at, you know, there's laundromats everywhere in the county. We try to put them up there. Anywhere we, where we think some of these families might be around, mm -hmm. libraries. Um, so that's kind of a, an avenue we, we take for identification. Um, one of the biggest things, you know, we can do, and in particular I can do as a homeless liaison, is participate in, in programs like this. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite things about my job is getting to talk about our program. I, um, I believe that much in what we do. Um, you know, I get to go around the community quite a bit and present to different groups. Um, I always look forward to that. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, it's been yeah. not as much as before, but, you know, a little bit on Zoom. Um, so I was excited to have this opportunity. Sure. Tell me about um, just going back to as you were describing the various types of homelessness that you see. I'm putting I'm, I'm imagining myself in in those places. And 
I just think getting an edu- going to school might be the very last thing on my mind. And if, as a parent, as a parent, getting my kid to school might be the last thing I'm concerned about, mm-hmm. to be honest, because I'm worried about feeding them and keeping mm-hmm. them sheltered. But then as a child, as a student, what, I, I just, that, I can't, I don't know if I would want to, you know, I, I how, how, what is, how do you, um, how do they feel? Like, how do you, what is the attitude towards school? What are they emotionally, parents and students in these situations, what are they facing given their, their housing circumstances that you have to somehow overcome to get them enrolled? You know, with the students, um, I, I think it can obviously depend on the, the situation um, that they're in. But I know that some students feel like it's their fault mm-hmm. that they're, that they're in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that breaks my heart to think that, um, that that's how they feel. Um, it's almost like they're carrying a burden, you know. Um, they, you know, some, some of our students are, unfortunately, you know, we live in an area where there's a lot of food deserts, and so they're hungry. Um, you know, there's a lot of feelings that these, these kids have. And um, just to kind of go back real quick, that's why getting them in school and keeping them in school is so important because sometimes that's the most stable part of their mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. is the, the five days a week they're in school. But the kids are scared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, you know, especially with maybe if they don't always have, you know, if they're not at a place where they are able to shower, they might, you know, um, get picked on in school. Um, there's all kinds of feelings that these kids um, are having to to work through and go through. And, um, you know, we do everything we can to try to help in that, you know, with providing mm-hmm. hygiene items and new clothes and things like that. But um, I like to think it helps, and I think to some extent it does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I were to put myself in the student's shoes, um, you know, uh, I, I just can't imagine um, – in addition to some of the things I just stated, I can't imagine what they're feeling on a, I mean, minute by minute basis, whether they're in school or not. Um, you know, if, if you wake up and um, you're getting ready to go to school while your parents are packing up your motel room mm-hmm. and you have no idea where you're going to be spending the night that night, um, that's going to be on your mind all day in school. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, how do you... Um, how do you pay attention? How, it just, it, it's, it's hard. And this is what a lot of our students are going through. Now, with the parents, um, kind of probably a lot of similar feelings. Um, parents, I'm sure, think, you know, this is all my fault. can't believe I'm a bad parent. You know, I, I've, I can't feed them. I, I don't know where we're going to spend the night. You know, so they, they carry a lot of um, guilt, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know through talking with them that, I've had parents who, you know, will tell me I'm not a bad parent. We just have hit hard times. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's true. They're not bad. They just hit hard times. Um, so I think for a lot of parents, guilt, um, fear. They think that a lot of a lot of folks, and this is something that's made it hard to identify families because they keep it a secret. They feel like they're going to get arrested or their kids are going to be taken away uh, because they're in a homeless situation, and that's just not not true. I mean. Homelessness in itself is not a crime, you know, mm-hmm. um, but many parents, for obvious reasons, are very fearful um, to 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 ask for help. 
Yeah. Um, and same for the students, you know, a lot of times the students want to ask for help as well, but they're afraid that if they say anything, they're going to get their parents in trouble and then they might be taken away from, from their parents. So, um, you know, these are, these are some of the things, you know, when it, when it comes to what the parents and students are feeling, these are some of the things that, um, you know, we've seen. Yeah. You, um, you touched on, I have couple questions that come mm-hmm. to mind, but let me get one out of the way. You mentioned the pandemic, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of people listening to this might, might, I mean, there's been a lot of economic fallout from the pandemic, and then the shift to e-learning. How has all of that coincided, and how has that affected the HEARTH program? What are you seeing out there? What are the effects of pand- the pandemic? Um, the biggest pan- effect of the pandemic for our program and um, actually um, homeless education programs in our surrounding counties, uh, Hillsboro and um, you know uh, Pasco, I'm, I'm very um, pretty close with a lot of the other homeless liaisons, li- liaisons in the other counties, and um, all of us across the board. One of the, one of the areas that it's really kind of affected our programs is with identification. You know what we talked about earlier. Um, when students, um, I had mentioned, you know, a lot of times students or families, when they come into the schools, they share things with the front office or the school counselors. Um, if they're doing e-school, um, those opportunities to share with school staff are just really not there. So a lot of the families um, who have lost housing, if they have access to a device and Wi-Fi, they're able, the student's able to to uh, participate in class um, no matter where they are, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But on, on the reverse side of that, we have a lot of families that I, I'm pretty sure um, are you know losing housing. And because it's not really interrupting the kids' schooling because they're doing e-learning, um, we're not being made aware of it. And mm-hmm. so therefore, we're not able to let them know what their rights are under the McKinney-Vento Act and what kinds of supports um, our, our program offers, you know, from school supplies to, you know, tutoring to help with, um, you know, getting access to healthcare. Um, you know, so definitely the biggest, um, effect of the pandemic so far has been, you know, how it has affected identification. Um, you know, the federal eviction moratorium was set to expire, um, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been extended to January 31st. Um, but when that, when that is lifted, whether it may get another extension, I'm not really sure, but eventually when it is lifted, um, we anticipate a lot of families being evicted, foreclosed. Um, and so we're doing our best to kind of get the word out there. Um, in fact, your office has helped us with that by putting out um, emails and, and uh, sharing videos. So you know, we're just trying to kind of anticipate that and do our best to really get the word out there and make sure as many people as possible know about our program. Mm-hmm. The um, you did not set out to do this necessarily for your, mm. you were going to work with, I believe, the elderly population. Yeah. How did this how did you arrive here, the district? What was the path you took and why was the homeless population, how did that come to be something that you feel so passionate about? Yeah. Um, so like you said, I kind of initially had a, felt like I was called to work with um, seniors um, at some capacity um, due to my close, close relationship with my grandparents. I kind of got a passion for that. But when I graduated college, I had um, a little bit of trouble trying to find work with my psychology degree. And uh, 
I was working at Starbucks at the time and just happened to kind of befriend a customer who worked at the Salvation Army. Um, and there had uh, there was a uh, case manager position available at the uh, the Salvation Army shelter in downtown Lakeland, and uh, uh, he said, you know, you should you have a psychology degree, you should you should come in and apply. So I did, and ended up starting um, kind of a pro- professional career at the Salvation Army at the shelter, and very quickly became the coordinator of the shelter, and just kind of found to it, and I really. Um, it didn't take long for me to realize, you know, this is, I think this is actually what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways I, I looked at it was I, I was never in a homeless situation. You know, I, I have coworkers in our program who, who, who have been, um, so I haven't experienced it, but I kind of think back to, you know, I, I had great parents and they provided a, a lot uh, of opportunities for me. And so I kind of looked at it as my way of, giving other parents a way to do the same um, and giving the kids the same opportunities I had. So that's kind of the way I, I kind of fell into it. And it, I did that for about five and a half years. And um, I had been partnering with Hearth as a shelter director, attending quarterly meetings with them and Dee Wright, the, my predecessor, who uh, kind of grew this program into what it is. Um, and she had created a new position in the program or another position in the program, I should say. And I immediately was interested and, um, applied for it and got it and then spent a few years in that position. And when Dee Dee, um, took a new position, I somehow became her successor. But I think the biggest reason or the, 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 what made me really want to come work for the district in particular with the hearth project is when I, with, during my time at the, the shelter, some of the parents I had the most difficult time helping were those who didn't graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, at the time, and even more so now, I see education as the chance for these students, these kids, to, you know, a lot of scenarios I've told you about. I see this, their education, as a chance for them to end that, to end mm-hmm. that cycle um, and to prevent it from going on. And so I see our program as, you know, just a, a wonderful chance for us to help them in that cycle by giving them support they need every year that they need it to get promoted every year and graduate. Gotcha. So in your work, I'm sure that you have, um, there are many students who stand out in your mind and, and lots of, I hope, success stories. Could you just tell us about a student or two who really touched you or who really you saw make a a huge turnaround um, because of the hearth program and how they're doing now. Just talk to us a little bit about the real people. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, over the course of, um, you know, doing this between the shelter and of course with hearth for almost 11 years now, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of stories that break your heart, but there's a lot of stories that kind of inspire you. Um, There's stories that uh, remind you of, um, why you're doing this, um, you know, and there, there's a one student in particular, um, there, well, there's a couple, but there's, I'll tell you about one first, a student who um, had been homeless with his family for, I mean, they were chronically homeless, um, no fault of their own, just really hit hard times. Um, you know, I'm going to try not to go too specific. I don't want to sure. Um, you know, um, giving anything away. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, but really, in a nutshell, this 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 student um, and his family they 
were, you know, between houses and, and shelters, uh, doubled up in houses with friends and family and, and motels just for, you know, four or five years. Um, you know, the, the parents did have some income, but it was just never really enough and struggled to really get any more income. So that was kind of the de deciding factor on as to, you know, why they just couldn't really get out of that into their own housing. And so um, the student and his younger siblings, of course, um, you know, kind of has, as I mentioned before, they went through the feelings of, you know, what that's like, what that instability is like. Um, uh, they, like many of our students, grow up very quickly, mm. um, doing a lot of things to help out mom and dad. Um, but, you know, one of the, the things our program really tries to do is provide you know, we want to try to provide support we can to mom and dad so that kids can be kids and focus on, on school. Mm -hmm. um, this particular student, um, you know, he never was in, a, in a, a position where he wasn't doing well. I think he just has always had a good head on his shoulders. Um, but I think, you know, because of the, the living situation, you know, struggled because he had a lot of responsibilities and in, in particular taking care of mm -hmm. um, his younger siblings um, due to uh, parents working and another parent not really being able to. Um, so, you know, I think through um, services that they were provided from another program I was involved with to, to this program, um, we were really able to um, you know, provide that support uh, for all the students, but in particular this student, the reason it is one that comes to mind is because um, he, over the course of those four to five years, every year he, he, he was promoted and got impeccable grades. And um, I kind of lost touch with the family for about a year or two. Um, and I happened to run into him at one of our, um, our annual graduation luncheon for our seniors who are experiencing homelessness. Um, you know, in case uh, people are not really sure what, what that means or what that is, is essentially, you know, a lot of our, our graduating seniors who are experiencing homelessness don't really get the graduation party that, mm -hmm. um, you know, many of the uh, non-homeless students get. And so we'd like to celebrate, uh, celebrate them, but um, celebrate what they've been able to accomplish. Um, you know, with everything going on for, for these kids to um, make it is just, um, it's, it's absolutely, as I mentioned before, it's inspiring and it's wonderful. And I ran into this young man at, at this luncheon and I was just so proud of him because I knew what he had gone through. I knew what his family had gone through. And to see him there a week or two away from graduating, mm -hmm. um, telling me that he is... Um, going to go into the army um, and or will go into um, go into college and then go into the army that was the plan um, and so far over the past few years has stuck to that plan wow. um, that's um, again like I mentioned you know we do have students who, who really do struggle um, and I think I think his struggles weren't so much academic. I think it was more of what was going on at home. Um, so, you know, I, I think that through the help of our programs and some of the other ones out there that we partner with, I think that um, I, I would like to think that we really kind of, as a, uh, as a team, provided some of the supports this particular family and student needed to, to help get them where they are mm -hmm. and maybe end that, end that cycle. Um,
There's also a, a, a young woman named, um, well, I'm not going to say her name, but mm-hmm. uh, she is not a student that I got to work with directly, but I'm familiar with her because she worked with um, one of our staff members. Um, and she was, you know, we I don't think I've mentioned it yet, so this is a perfect time, but uh, we do have quite a few unaccompanied high school youth in our district. Um, these are students who they are not with their family for whatever reason. Maybe they were kicked out. Maybe they ran away. Um, but this particular student was an unaccompanied high school youth. And she um, she received assistance through uh, Nikita in mm-hmm. our office, who um, who's no longer in our office, but she was our unaccompanied high school youth school social worker. And this young woman just has such an amazing story, um, what she was able to overcome. Um, and through Nikita's assistance with, you know, um, whether it be getting access to needed medical um, services, to applying for FAFSA, uh, to uh, making sure graduation requirements were being met, um, you know, so many other things that I'm probably not thinking of right now, but this young lady was able to, to graduate and, um, since then, she's actually become a pretty big advocate for students who are in her type of uh, situation. Um, uh, she's on our homeless youth task force um, that we have. Um, and, you know, one of the th- kind of proud things that um, we talk about regarding her is, you know, she, when I say advocate, I mean, she's an advocate. She um, met with HUD secretary, Dr. Ben Carson, to, to, advocate for the alignment between the HUD definition of um, homelessness and the McKinney-Vinto Act definition of homelessness. So, um, you know, these, we've had students as well in our program who, who have, um, who have been, you know, the top of their class of valedictorian. Um, you know, these, these kids are, are, are bright, bright kids and just need, just needs support. There's, um, there are so many, so many amazing stories out there of these kids that have just gone through so much and have been able to to turn it around. And um, you know, I think that on some level, um, our program and uh, some of the other programs I mentioned before that we partner with really can kind of make that difference for them. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that as people listen to you talk on this this episode, that they may be inspired to help in some way. How can you help the Hearth Program? Anyone out there? What could, what do you need from them? What could you use? Um, you know, so people can support in all kinds of different ways. You know, of course, there's the monetary way, mm-hmm. <laughs> and folks can uh, write uh, checks to the Polk Education Foundation uh, with Hearth in the memo line. Um, you know, we can always use hygiene items. Um, a lot of times, there's specific needs that we have throughout the year. Um, and, you know, so I always encourage folks to call me. And if there's something specific they can help us with at that time, I kind of let them know, hey, these are our needs right now. Um, and, of course, we could always use someone to um, some volunteers every now and then to help out around our portable um, to get things out to kids and to organize. So, um, but, yeah, anyone interested in helping can always reach out to me and I can let them know, you know, what our specific needs are at that at that time. Okay. We'll provide your contact information at the end of the show. Um, We try to uh, wrap up every episode with the premise of the podcast is that um, people of this organization are what make it great and that everyone contributes something unique and an individual to the organization. What is it that you think you give to Polk County Public Schools? Um, 
you know, I try to be as humble as I can. So that's, that's, a, that's a tough question for me to answer. I hate to say that because I feel like I, I you know, I, I bring, I feel like you should ask my staff that. Okay. <laughs> no, no. But um, in all seriousness, I, I think, to be honest with you, I bring um, awareness about our homeless kiddos. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I bring, you know, 11 years of knowledge on how to, to serve uh, this population um, and I think I, I just bring a, a passion to uh, to do that. I bring a passion for our kids um, to be in school, mm-hmm. to have the support they need. Mm-hmm. And as I've mentioned, probably about four or five times be, before, be promoted every year, graduate, mm-hmm. and end that cycle. And when you're talking about a population that can be invisible to most people, mm-hmm. having someone who has experience and awareness and genuinely cares about seeing them be promoted and graduate that's invaluable so thank you for what you do ben appreciate it and um, we will provide your contact information for those who want to get in touch with you and help hearth so thank you again for being a guest thank you did you change careers to become a teacher para or bus driver do you remember the moment when you knew a career in education was right for you are you a pcps alumnus who remembers the teacher who made you believe you were capable of great things Are you a student who is already putting your K-12 education to work in our community? We all have a story to tell, and those stories are part of what makes PCPS great. Tell us yours. To be a guest or to nominate someone you know to be featured on The People of PCPS, fill out the form posted online at polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the People of PCPS podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or watch online at the Polk County Public Schools YouTube channel. To learn more about the People of PCPS and other Polk County Public Schools podcasts, visit polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcasts.